Okay, welcome back to On the Barricades, your weekly political show delivered to you by Eastern European leftists. I am Boyan Stanislavski, I'm the host of the show, and we're continuing our discussion with Pat Byrne, a long-standing uh, socialist activist and the historian of the Europeans' left. Uh, Pat, we're talking about uh, the, demo- the Summit for Democracy, uh, and uh, we, we just... Uh, we just we were talking about how Poland, uh, you know, from from Eastern European, uh, from East uh, from Eastern Europe, Poland, the Polish authorities were invited to participate in that summit, and the Hungarian ones were not, despite the fact that uh, those two uh, governments are of a very similar nature. Uh, and uh, perhaps we could go over now uh, which countries were invited and which were not invited. By the way, I think it it actually caused uh, a bit of a backlash. I would even say. Uh, because you know, reading uh, reading the, uh, the the international media, <clears throat> the media of repute, so to say, uh, you can see that even even in though on those platforms there were voices that were kind of skeptical, uh, you know. And uh, for example, in, in the Middle East, only Israel and Iraq received invitations, you know, to the summit sure. for democracy. And then there's perhaps I can G- say, yeah, perhaps yeah. I can say something about that. Actually, yeah, please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can show this um, graphic, um, yeah. uh, you can see here um, exactly the countries in blue are the ones that, that actually got an invite to this summit. Now, you can see, if you look at that, you can see, um, I don't know if you can blow it, you can expand it a little bit, but... No, unfortunately, not, um, you would have to do okay. that on your end. If you, yeah, oh, okay, if you can yeah, do yeah. that, then yeah. I might be able to do that. Hold on a second. That might make it a little bit easier. Hold on. And uh, let's say, try that. Okay, that's a bit better, yeah. So um, you can see here... Um, that the <clears throat> that the majority of Africa has not been invited, mm-hmm. uh, most of the Middle East not invited, most of Asia not invited, <laughs> unbelievable. So, uh, and you can see in Latin America, um, you know, significant countries like most of Central America not invited, and significant countries in in South America. Well, so from you what can I can see, see, in South America, only two countries were invited, right? No, no, these are not invited. I decided, okay. uh, the, the, in blue, the ones who are in blue are the ones who are invited. Right, right, right. Sorry. Okay. okay. Yeah, I made a mistake. Yeah. So, so, um, <clears throat> so they're just taking Latin America, for example. Um, now, Venezuela, of course, uh, you'd expect yeah. them not to invite. But uh, having said that, Venezuela's just finished an election, an important election yeah. for all their regional... Recognized as fair players. by everyone. And, and, and it was attended and supervised by the... Um, the EU observers, and they 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 said that there, there, there's some things they could improve, but it, they recognise it as generally a fair result. Um, mm. uh, and uh, you know uh, the opposition gained some uh, good results, but the uh, you know the government, the pro-government forces gained a big majority. Um, or look at uh, Bolivia, the the other country they haven't invited. Bolivia has just had uh, a presidential election, which everybody accepted was fair. So, on yeah. what basis do they not want to? Invite yeah, by the Bolivia? way, by the way, I want to say that Russia has had uh, elections in 2018, and it was also recognized by everyone as fair and completely uh, and exactly. totally well organized. Exactly. I, I want to say even more that I was uh, I was an observer, an international observer during that elections, and you know I can uh, I can attest, so to say, that everything but was of course, okay. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the criticism of Russia would be that the about uh, mainly on the media, I guess. But and we, that then, of course, brings us on to the media in the West. But we, we'll come yeah, to yeah, that yeah. later on, maybe. But uh, but the example of Bolivia is a classic example. Is that, that basically it's a left wing country and it doesn't follow the dictates of, of America. So in well, in, in Central yeah. America, um, we've got Nicaragua, uh, which is uh, just the, where where again uh, the left has just won an election. We just had an election in Honduras where the left has won the presidency. Again, nobody criticizing the election results. Uh, why are they not inviting El Salvador? Why are they not inviting Guatemala? The mm. reason being is because they are they are planning um, a major operation in Central America, uh, which they're calling Plan Central America, along the lines of that terrible program they operated in Colombia, where they, 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 they poured huge amounts of money in there. Um, uh, to defeat the left, um, they supposed to be a drug, anti-drug uh, thing, but it didn't stop them. It, yeah. it was mainly against the left. But if you look at, if you look at, there's all sorts of examples. If I, if I put, uh, scroll, scroll down, you can see I'm highlighting in, in first of all, I highlight in, in, in green uh, China and Russia. I mean, these are the two main enemies which this whole conference is aimed against. And when you consider that uh, Russia is the largest country in the world geographically. China is the most populous country in the world. I mean, to exclude these countries is ridiculous. But you look at all the other, the 83 countries were not invited. 83. They invited yeah. 110. So they cut out 83, and including Bangladesh. Mm. Um, uh, they, 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 they didn't in, in South Asia, they didn't include uh, Sri Lanka. Um, they didn't include uh, um, uh, places like the Lebanon, where... You know, you could have many Christians of the Lebanon, but they have elections. Um, they didn't include uh, Turkey. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm, my home is in Turkey, so I know a lot about Turkey. And one can make great criticisms of them. But you can't say they're not democratic in any sense. I mean, uh, you could criticize some aspects of dem democracy. Uh, and like, for example, the fact that the government controls a lot of media and so on. Um, but still have serious elections. And... And the, the latest opinion polls show that the opposition are likely to win if there's another election. So, you know, I mean, this is just ridiculous. They've excluded Uganda, which just had recent elections, which nobody really complained about. Um, they had elections in Zimbabwe, again, which most people didn't complain about. Um, so there's, it's, it's bizarre, some of the, the countries they've excluded here. But more importantly, what they're doing is they're basically, um, they're declaring all these countries as right for regime change. Because they're not democratic, so according to the Americans, they should their government should be changed. And not only that, more dangerous than this is what the Americans are doing. They, they never did this in the first Cold War. Is they're splitting the country, the world, right down the middle into us and them. Mm -hmm. And and by doing so, is they're dramatically underlining the United. They're undermining the United Nations. Now, what most people don't realize is that the West no longer cares about the United Nations, um, especially America, but the same with, uh, with a lot well, of but, European but countries. But I, I want to say that I think it also, uh, there's an element of uh, the latter, the joint statement by the Russian and, and Chinese ambassadors. Mm. I think it points out, uh, I mean, one of the elements that it points out is exactly this, because they... Uh, 
they criticize this notion of rules-based order, which makes no sense. I mean, what rules? Who makes the rules? Uh, where are exactly. they written? And who? Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, so uh, that's it's not the United Nations. Exactly, and that's what the I United say. There Nations. is only one rules-based order, international order, which is the international order under the auspices of the United Nations, and then right. there's the international law. And, you know, this this whole thing about uh, rules-based order is just a humbug. I mean, it's it's like it's a made-up thing, okay, that uh, the West or the Americans... In it's particular. their rules. It's yeah, their it's rules. their rules, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you but, but even when you come to ask what rules, what are you talking about? I mean, what rules are is, is Zimbabwe not applying or Turkey not applying in terms of democracy, okay? I mean, we're talking about elections, about a political process and so on and so forth. Because, of course, I mean, you can have all kinds of criticism against Turkey, against China, against Russia, against the United States, whatever country you come, right. with, come up with, you can have all kinds of criticism. But in terms of the political process and the, and the kind of democratic procedures, okay, I mean, they're there in most countries, at least. So, uh, <clears throat> When it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to the essence of it, it really feels t like uh, it, it, it's it's about uh, the con it's about control, obviously. And you, you said that in the previous segment that, for example, right. the Polish government cannot be controlled, uh, or can be controlled by America, or, or not so much yes, by the exactly. European Union. That's why the European mm -hmm. Union doesn't like the Polish government and, right. and is trying to undermine it. Uh, and then there's uh, there's Orbán, who cannot be controlled because he's too sovereign at the moment and he he enjoys too much of of, of popular support, right? And and but but that's one thing. And the second thing is the question of the the ideological question, which I indicated in the previous segment, in my opinion, gets increasingly important that, you know, that th they really feel like they will now project, I mean, the Americans, that it will project the kind of the most, uh, uh, the, the most recent version of the Democratic Party's appeal. They're going to sort of, you know, enforce it on everyone. Everybody's going to be woke. Everybody's going to be like, you know, woke in, in the in this uh, ideological terms. Everybody's going to be uh, uh, somehow uh, liberal. Everybody's going to uh, is going to be kind of, you know, modern and and, uh, and and totally westernized. And so this this goes, hey, yeah. boy, and this goes on perfectly to this. What I, can you bring up on the next screen? Can you bring up sure. on the screen here? Absolutely. Now, you'll see why they don't want to talk about UN rules. So this is a very clear. The UN Declaration says that every state has an inalienable right to choose its political, economic, social and cultural systems without interference in any other form, any form by another state. So this is completely against this democracy summit and the whole uh, orientation of the Americans and Europeans who do say they have the God-given right to determine that every country in the world must have their democratic system, give or take uh, some change, some minor alterations, and their liberal values. And they talk about that. They talk about their values and the human rights that they recognize. And they believe that they can overthrow any government and they have the right to go into any country and fund organizations to overthrow that government. But this is completely against democracy and against the whole basis of the United Nations which is why the United Nations approved this declaration, which is why the US and, and its allies do, no, do not talk about, you notice they never talk about the UN declaration. They don't talk about the UN uh, laws. They talk about their own, as you said, rules-based order, rules-based order, their own rules-based order. They never specify what that is. So you see how, you can see how um, this thing works. Now, one of the, one might ask the question, why would people, why would countries go to this, you know, why would countries attend this summit, you know? Yeah. Um, 
you know, obviously we know that the usual suspects that I mentioned before will go, but why would countries that they've invited go? Now, the reason is because um, they are in a desperate state. And the, at, the, the, at the last G7 summit that was held in England, you might recall, back in the summer, mm -hmm. the, the Americans uh, and the G7, the G7 is basically a, um, a fake group uh, which yeah, it used to be G20, you know, then G8. <laughs> no, well, there is no. There's the G. There's the G8 and there's the G20, right? Yeah. Um, but they don't hold those meetings much now because they know that 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 means that big big countries like uh, Russia, China, um, Brazil, Turkey, uh, Indonesia, and so on will attend those those mm. things. Who who are now representing a huge proportion of the world's economy and the majority of the world's population. They just bring together the powers. The, the imperialist powers, let's put the real name to it, um, mm -hmm. that, they, that they, um, they can rely on. So they, they brought together the seven uh, countries and then they invited a whole string of puppets, you know, like Israel and uh, Poland uh, and, uh, and so on. They invited these, um, these uh, countries that are willing to do their bidding um, as, as observers. And then at that meeting, they, because they, they can't stand this idea of the, of the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which the which the Chinese has been rolling out across the, the, the developing countries, um, and which which doesn't, uh, unlike the Americans and the West, doesn't lay down any conditions. It's unconditional support. You know, it, it, they they don't interfere with your government. They don't try to overthrow you. They're just trying to genuinely help people raise themselves up economically and socially and so on. Now, because of the success of this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which has now been signed up to. By about 140 countries, um, they they decided they want to produce a rival, and so they've called it, they call it the Build Back a Better World. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, but anyway, mm. um, and they're talking about 42 trillion dollars. That's a lot of money, but this is we know this is a, this is a farce that they that this is going to all be high priced loans, you know. Um, if it is made available, you know, they, they often have these summits where they promise all this money and they don't deliver it. Um, but but the thing is, that they're, they're going to obviously what they're going to do is they're going to only offer this to countries who are not who, who are coming to this uh, democracy summit and who are not participating in the serious way of the Belt and Road Initiative. So what they're trying to do is to set this up as a rival organization. So and what they're doing is they're trying to get the countries and the poorer countries who are desperate for help, um, particularly now with the pandemic and everything, they're trying to get them to come along to this thing and, um, you know, bend the knee to the uh, to the Western powers. Um, and on that basis, they then follow it up with uh, um, getting these governments to make all sorts of changes, uh, which will mean that they won't be democratic. They'll be effectively controlled by the West. Um, and yeah. that's their intention. So you can see how serious this, um, this, this, this whole process is and how undemocratic. Um, I'll come on to that. Uh, we can come on to that later on. So <clears throat> um, now, uh, uh, one second. Um, hold on a second. Um, here we go. Um, uh, now, one of, one of the questions that I think people will want to, to ask, and if you can go back to, if you can go come back to us, yeah? If you can come back to us. Right. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, one of, one of the questions I think that that naturally people will ask is that we're making all these Christians of democracy, mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, 
and, and, and I would say that the, the Americans are, are taking a big risk with this, um, this initiative. And I suspect that they will come to regret it in the long run because what's actually doing, what they're doing is they're putting democracy into the spotlight. And, they're, and they've been using this term democracy, 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 but without really defining it in detail. And, and then people will, will start to say, well, you know, we've got democracy supposedly and it's not delivering for us. I mean, for example, they, they criticize the, the, the Chinese for not having the same democratic system as the West. But ironically, in one of the essences of democracy, you know, the famous, the famous definition by Abraham Lincoln was democracy is ruled by, for, by, with and for the people. Well, if you take the question of for the people, the Chinese are certainly delivering for their people. So on the main, and, and in many ways, that has got to be the main <laughs> judgment of a government is, does it deliver for its population? Does it raise its, its people's living standards and uh, deliver improves their health and uh, transportation, education, and all the other things that make life uh, easier? And, and you, you've got to say that China's done the best job in the whole human history. And yet, what's happening in the West? They've got this so-called democracy, but they're not delivering for the people. I mean, if you ask the average person, do they think the government really rules for them? They won't. They, the vast majority will say no. How do I know that? Because when they've done opinion polls, not long in recently, they find that the the number of people who are who are, who are happy about the direction their country is taking is so low. I mean, it's something like twenty four percent in America. It's eighteen percent in France. It's similar type figures in all these. I mean, what uh, kind of democracy? In Eastern Europe, it's even less than yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, what kind of democracy can it be if the people are so discontented with their governments mm. and so discontented with what, the way their lives are going? And yet, in China, when they when the American polling companies do surveys of of China, okay, maybe you know it's not maybe the, the you know the the the, uh, the situation in China with with uh, only having a state media and so on does influence the way people think. But nevertheless, they're getting results of 85%, yeah, but 90% support for the government. So you can't... Like, you cannot make it up. Like, you cannot propagandize people, 90% of the people, into into supporting the government. Oh. You can propagandize some amount, yeah. like in Poland, yeah, for example, but yeah. you cannot really go that far, yeah. Yeah, and the people who go to, on holiday or go on business to, to China, who talk to Chinese, they find that the vast majority of people they talk to genuinely support the government. And why wouldn't they? I mean, if you're, if you're seeing your wages dramatically rise and, and your housing, you know, you go from just having a tiny space to live in and then you've got a much bigger place to live in and all within a short space of time. Yeah, and, and contrast you know? that, contrast that with Eastern Europe, with places like Bulgaria, for example, where we have, we have been through, a, you know, a civilizational downgrade over the last 30 years, okay? I mean, this, this has been, a, this is an ongoing disaster, all right? Like we've lost yeah. one third of our population. Uh, you know, the country is depopulated. The people exactly. are, are, are increasingly ignorant. The uh, uh, the education is, I mean, I don't even want to start this topic and the healthcare and everything. I mean, it, it bears no resemblance to what it used to be 30 years ago. And today it's it's it would even be difficult to believe, you know, that 30 years ago, Bulgaria was an industrialized, well-developing country, okay? So yeah. sorry for the interruption, but I just wanted to. No, 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 no. I mean, you know, we can all give contrast. our own. We can all give our own personal. I mean, I occasionally, yeah. you know, I was. I'm from an Irish family, but I was born in Britain. So um, when I go back to the UK, 
it's so depressing, man. Yeah. Uh, the people are so, you know, they're so downhearted about the, the state of the country and the way things are going. And and and, uh, and nobody's happy with the governments that they, they you know, they elected, um, they elected uh, Boris Johnson. He promised that he was going to level up all these poor, neglected areas that he yeah. suddenly got some conservative votes in. And then the people are saying, well, where is it? <laughs> What's happening, you know? I mean, in America, Biden um, uh, introduced some laws and uh, he, um, uh, you know, see what happened in the Congress. Uh, several of the, the senators and the Congress people were bought off by the, by the neoliberal lobbies and corporate lobbies. And so they gutted the legislation. And the, so the, the infrastructure bill has now be ter- been turned into a basically um, a big uh, handout to uh, private companies. Uh, and, a lot, and it's also including privatization. And all, it's totally the opposite of what they thought. And the, the reconcil- reconciliation budget bill started off, the idea started off with 10 trillion, then it went down to six, then down to 3.5, now down to, to less than two. And, uh, and a lot of the things that were good things that they were promising to do, which are basic standards which we're used to in Europe, they took them out. And um, mm. like the minimum wage was dismissed and unbelievable, you know. And and and, uh, mm. and, and so, you know, even when the Democrats, like it, the overwhelming majority of the Democrats wanted to vote for it, but just one or two senators who were being yeah, paid. And, and I, I just want to, I would like uh, to mention one more thing here because I feel it's important nuance for, uh, particularly for the Western audience, if there's anyone in the West watching us to, uh, to consume, because, uh, you know, there's this uh, very simplistic, uh, how to say this, interpretation, okay, that there are democracies where, you know, the governments are elected and thus supported by the people because, you know, they are elected and uh, so on and so forth. And then there are dictatorships where everybody is against the dictator, but yet the dictator is still there because he can just repress hundreds of thousands or millions of people. And this is completely not the case. I mean, you, you know, even the experience of the Eastern Bloc. I mean, there were countries where genuinely there were pro-capitalist and, and anti-communist tendencies like Hungary and Romania, uh, sorry, and, and uh, Poland, by the way. Uh, I, I would say that those were the two countries where there were real, genuine pro-capitalist movements. But that's another story. I don't want to start, uh, you know, start another topic now. But 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 yeah. in, in countries like Bulgaria or in countries like uh, uh, I, I don't know the uh, Czechoslovakia and stuff like that. I mean, there was a lot of support for the government. Okay, I mean, not not, not the kind of I don't know eighty percent or whatever they would claim you know, during their election uh, uh, cycles. But there was a, a lot of, and, and, you know, it continues even up until today. When you look at Belarus, for example, they tried to stage a coup uh, last year in Belarus, exactly using the civil society, non-governmental organizations, and so on and so forth. But of course, those or non-governmental organizations, they what they did is, is they were able to, to base themselves on some genuine grief in the Belarusian society. Sure. Obviously, there was sure. a lot of it, but there's grief yeah. everywhere in America in the most democratic countries in Canada in whatever yeah, uh, whatever exactly. other, other other country but what, what I'm trying to say is that obviously Lukashenko Alexander Lukashenko the dictator that he is obviously he's a dictator and he's a pretty bad one okay I mean right. he does repress people what I'm trying to say is that you know obviously his uh, rate of support is not 88% or whatever he claimed during that no. uh, the elections last year but I bet my head that it's way over 50% 
way over, like probably over 60. So, you know, and that's why he was not able to be removed from power because they were not able to mobilize the society. And in particular, they were not able to mobilize the working class against Lukashenko. And there were the, those famous moments when they tried to organize strikes against him, but then he would go to those, uh, you know, factories and, and, and uh, you know, huge workplaces where he would discuss with those workers and they would, dis uh, they would decide not to go uh, on strike. So, what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, there are certain uh, certain forms of government which definitely are not the same democratic uh, uh, regimes that the West has invented, you know, some time ago on the basis of its own history, on the basis of its own uh, development, on the basis of its own experience and so on and so forth. We have not had that experience in many areas in the world. And uh, Western Europe is exceptional in many ways in terms of history. Uh, mm. and, 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 you know, or you, like take Russia, okay? I mean, I will agree definitely that there are certain authoritarian measures that have been, uh, that were taken and have been taken, you know, over the last 20 years during the reign of Putin and so on and so forth. And we can discuss whether they were rational or not rational and so on and so forth. And we can have a debate until, you know, the cows come home. But what I'm trying to say is that people support this. I mean, they support this. Uh, this form of government. And I would say that Russia is an authoritarian uh, uh, government, but with a huge support from the side of the population. And but well, by that, I'm not trying to yeah, say that it makes no course. sense for it to be democratized. But, but what why, I'm trying why? to say is... If we, yeah. are, if we ask the question, if we ask the question, why, why the Russians are supporting um, a, a more uh, authoritarian form of government... Well, because they provide that, for the people, because they reassert no, but, but, their... But I mean, but they had the experience yeah. of what this fake form of democracy is like in the 90s. And they suffered hell for that. They saw what privatization and the oligarchs taking over um, their, you know, the economy, taking over the media, uh, taking over politics. They saw what it... It meant for them. It was total disaster um, for their for their lifestyles and everything else. And so, of course, naturally, they reacted against it. And said, "Bugger this!" And they, they went for uh, um, uh, they they switched back to a, a more uh, at least a more what they saw as a more um, uh, type of government that would would benefit them more and would and would actually restore you know russian sovereignty and and so forth you know it's they'd lost so so um you can fully understand why although although putin um uh, obviously he dominates the media and that gives him a great advantage and and without that i suspect he'd have a lot more problems but he's ruling with a lot of support from the public because of that because they remember what this alternative that the west is offering is really like in practice and um and, the, and neoliberalism Sometimes it delivers a short-term burst of growth, but not for long. And then people see massive corruption that erupts from it. And, and uh, so, for example, um, take, if we're talking about democracy, you know, this Western democracy, um, before you decide on who to vote for, um, quite important is the information you get on those candidates, their programs and who they are and so on, which, is you, which you're going to get from the media. Now, how is it possible to have a democratic country where the media is owned by a few rich individuals or controlled by government? Yeah, or like six corporations like it is in America, I think. Yeah, it's it six is. Six corporations. Yeah, exactly. And on, on top of that, I want to say that there's this famous quote from Noam Chomsky who, who said once that any dictator would be thrilled with the obedience uh, that the American media are demonstrating to uh, the establishment in the U.S.
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, so so you know, if you control the media, I mean, I, I always remember the, um, uh, I, I, and I give this example sometimes um, of uh, what happened when Mubarak, you know, the Egyptian dictator, was overthrown. And in in the run up to his overthrow, uh, he his last order that he issued was <clears throat> that uh, his presidential guard, it was a twenty five thousand strong, elite part of the army that was specially paid and uh, had all these privileges and so on that he could rely on, and um, he he asked them to defend two buildings in the country. One was the presidential palace where he was, obviously, and the other one was the TV and radio station. And that tells you, what that tells you is that the power of the media in any society is absolutely key. I always remember when, um, when uh, the, the Portuguese revolution broke out in 1974, the reason it broke out was because the left some, uh, somehow managed to get control of the main radio station, you know, because they didn't have an advanced TV system in, in Portugal at that time. And they got control of the radio station and started broadcasting, calling for people to come on the street and overthrow the government. And within one day, within 24 hours, they had overthrown the government. And that just shows you the power of the media. I mean, I've seen examples where uh, what are normally right-wing newspapers have for some strange reason decided to mobilize behind um, some issue and call for people to come out and demonstrate on it. And you should see the response. It's incredible. So it just shows you that that the media is absolutely crucial to yeah. any democracy. And we, by the way, I want to ask you. Media, but I want to ask you. I, I want to ask you because I think it's a great segue to this uh, question of uh, to this nuance, so to say, of uh, what is actually uh, endangering, threatening democracy today, uh, in whatever form, like however we want to perceive it. Because uh, sure. you know, I would I would say that. Uh, well, while we can argue that this government or that government endangers democracy here or there, if we're talking about governments like that, then we're talking about powerful governments, like, for example, the American one or certain Western European ones. But then, you know, there's the question of the media. And I think, you know, you laid it out uh, you know, pretty clearly, like how media can be a weapon. Uh, that manipulates, uh, you know, the public opinion that uh, sows discord, nonsensical discord in society. Uh, like, for example, in Poland, now we're fighting over LGBT and abortions and stuff like that, whereas the country is literally falling apart in terms of its legal system and 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 even political system, if you like. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I definitely think it's crucial. And from that point of view, I would say that uh, the corporate media, they are a huge enemy of democracy. Because it's it's like you know the amounts of things that the mainstream corporate uh, media prevent uh, prevent from happening or or, or uh, provoke happening. This is this is something uh, well rather incredible, and I would say that yeah. it, it is it is something to be considered as as hostile to democracy. What do you Definitely, think? Yeah, I mean, uh, take for example what they're doing in Europe. Hmm. Um, the mass media, and they're very, they're very clever, the techniques they use, because they're doing it on a daily basis, they become very professional at it. Uh, and they, they're able to manipulate and, and channel um, uh, the anger and discontent of the public in very effective ways. So, for example, um, one of the tactics they use is that they talk up the, the threat of the right. And so, so, for example, um, I'm, I'm talking here, for example, of the BBC. Mm -hmm. uh, in Britain, <clears throat> and uh, they um, 
they constantly uh, report, when they're reporting election results from Europe, they'll constantly talk up the threat by far-right parties or right-wing parties like Le Pen in France yeah. or the Swedish Democrats or AFD in Germany, uh, Vox in, Sp- in Spain, etc., etc. And they never talk about the left uh, and the left-wing challenge in those countries. So, so, for example, the last presidential election with Macron we never heard anything about Mélenchon hmm. uh, on, and the left, uh, even though actually if they had handled things better, they should have won that election. And they could have done because the, the, um, the, the left socialists and the, um, and the kind of semi-communists, um, if they had united together, they would have had a majority and they would have won that election. But no, they talked all. They talked up Le Pen and they do it every election and always Le Pen does far worse than they expect. Um, and the, and we and we see that happening in one country after another. In in, uh, in Spain, for example, they never used to talk about um, uh, the new left party um, uh, Podemos, um, and they never reported really what, how the the socialists at that time were going to the left and so on. But as soon as Vox, this small right wing fascist party, came, there was huge publicity on the BBC about it. And so, why do they do that? Why do they talk up and publicise the right? Okay, so uh, I think we've lost Pat for a while. Let's see if we can uh, restore the connection. Than the left. Because right, the Pat, right, Pat, Pat, yeah, you Pat, got a problem. Uh, you got a problem. Yeah, there was a technical problem, so I think it makes sense that uh, you repeat the last 15 seconds or 20 no seconds problem. of what you were saying. Please go ahead. All right, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the Vox fascist party, yeah, uh, yeah, and, and media. Yeah, so, uh, so, so the BBC, um, they never reported about Podemos, which be, hmm. got a mass amount of support. They never reported any developments of the big fight between the left and the right, the Socialist Party, which the left won for an important period. But what, as soon as a small right wing fascist, semi fascist party called Vox appeared, oh, we we never heard the end of it. And and the the question you have to ask is why do the why do the um, mainstream sort of liberal centrist party uh, um, mainstream channels, broadcasting TV channels, why do they talk up the right? And the reason is because although they don't like the right, they much prefer if people are going to leave the centre that they prefer them to go to the right because the right are no real threat to the rich and the powerful. They're not going to make any major differences. They never do. They make all these, they, they often very populist messages and they try to uh, voice the anger of people. at, the, at yeah, the, Like the Trump, and, for example. I mean, Yeah, like Trump and so on. But when they get in power, they do the bidding of the rich and they, do, Absolutely, they, give, yeah. the, they give the tax cuts and all the rest of it. Yeah. They do, the one thing they don't want is people to go to the left because the left are, are going to come forward with measures against the rich and the powerful. And these TV stations are ultimately under the control of the rich and powerful and answerable to them. So that's that's a classic example of, of the dangers of the media and, and what you say about them being an enemy of democracy is, is, is very true. They, they, let's look at the fact. They're not they're not they're not um, democratic in, in any shape or form. Nobody votes for the media uh, bosses, uh, the TV, TV channel, even the state TV channels. They're not answerable to anybody. They're not answerable to the workforce. They're not answerable to their viewers. They're answerable to the government above them. Uh, if they're state channels or if they're private channels to the people who own them. 
So, so how can they be pushing democracy when they are dictatorships? Yeah, they have no incentives. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. you know, I mean, it doesn't. It's just a complete contradiction and hypocrisy. Mm. You know, they and they know that. The reality is, they know that. I, I, I'm a, I'm a retired journalist, so I've been through all this. I know how inside the mainstream media. I've worked in the mainstream media. I know how it works. You have to do their bidding or leave. That's the only choice you have. Right, right. No Uh, say whatsoever. I, yeah. I totally agree with you, and I suppose that the majority of our viewers, they kind of realize that as well, that those are not democratic organizations and they have no incentives to spread democracy or to to, to assist democracy in whatever right. developing or, or, or uh, progressing. Uh, but, you know, we've got like about, uh, well, less than 10 minutes. So I want to sure. ask... Uh, I'd like you to elaborate on, on, on alternatives to Western democracy, because I think okay. this is something... Uh, well, something to finish this conversation, a note to finish the conversation on, because I want to give people, you know, the sure. hope and I want to give them a perspective, a vision of where we could go instead of this summit for democracy or whatever it's going to be called sure. in the future. Well, I, I would start uh, before going to that. I, I would start with one thing that I think that the, <clears throat> the the left and the progressive movement internationally has to get get wise to what the Americans and the European Union leadership are up to with their uh, uh, non-governmental organizations. And sadly, also, they've taken over all these uh, things like Human Rights Watch, uh, Reporters Without Borders, uh, Amnesty International, which used to be a fine organization, they've taken it over. And they mobilize these things against any regime that Americans want to overthrow. And... And what we on the left have to do is we have to start to expose all these organizations and call for them to be shut down. <clears throat> because they, you, can't, you cannot be in a country campaigning for democracy or human rights and accepting money from foreign sources like um, you know, the, the, the National Endowment for Democracy, which is basically a front for the CIA, or USAID, which is another front for them, or uh, the George Soros uh, Open Society Movement, etc. These organizations are fun. Uh, they're interfering with the, the, these countries. They're interfering with their politics. They're trying to undermine their sovereignty to get those countries to do what, the bidding of the West and the interests of the West. And that is totally the opposite of democracy. So we need to run a big campaign against the legitimacy of these organizations and the big funding they've got, they're getting every year. I, I don't know if any of you have had the chance to look at the NED lists in every country. There's there are plethora of these organizations getting large amounts of money every year uh, with large staffing, and, and we have to fight back against that. And actually, I think that... And most of those organizations, so, by the way, have no root in the societies Exactly. They, they don't in. have so any real it's roots. Not They're artificial. So, yeah, it's not going to be artificial. so difficult, really. Yeah. No. I think once you expose them, um, they lose their legitimacy uh, and they'll, they'll collapse like a pack of cards, a lot of them. Because... Uh, especially when you bring in laws that, no, you should have a law. The Americans have this law. (laughs) The Americans have a law that you're not allowed to, no foreign government or or entity is allowed to finance a political party in America or give money on those things. And we should have the same kind of laws that no money should be Yeah, by the way, when they wanted to introduce something, they did introduce something like that, although not not even remotely as radical as it is in America. In Russia, there was a huge scandal all over the world. Yeah, I saw that. Democracy dying, you know. Yeah, because they're desperate to keep these NGOs going. Otherwise, they haven't got a way to intervene in the politics of that Yeah, who's going to sponsor Navalny and stuff? Yeah. Now, now, of course, (laughs) if it's an NGO, if it's an NGO that is genuinely working for blind people or, or whatever, and it's got 
international links is getting donations from abroad, fine. But if it's about politics, human rights, and all that rubbish that they talk, they're not interested in the human rights of people. You know, the, the yeah, results exactly. of when, if you're they, when in the they overthrow... Yeah, yeah when they you're interested in the human rights of people, you help them, I don't know, get shelter, get food, get whatever like this. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, they, 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 when they overthrow these governments, the, the results are disastrous. Do you think, you think the human rights organizations in, in Syria or in Libya, or, do you think, that, I mean, you know, the, the results yeah, of think, these things. Like, think, think even about Belarus. I mean, do you even, can you even imagine what would have happened if those, oh. you know, vanguards of human rights would have taken over that country? I mean, this would have been a, a, a disaster for those people. I know. There, we, right? we, these, regime, like, these regime change operations, uh, they lead to nothing but But, uh, yeah, and, and you know, I can also speak from bitter experience. I mean, people. Bulgaria went through a regime change operation in 1996-1997, okay? And, and this, was, this is an ongoing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, wave of destitution. That's what it is. Like, exactly, know. yeah. And they don't care. It's, 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 all, it's all part... I mean, look at, the, um, <clears throat> look at uh, um, uh, Amnesty International. The, the, the leader of Amnesty International just came over from the, was the de- second in charge of the American State Department. I mean, yeah. it's just a farce. Yeah. I mean, it's you so know. obvious. I mean, they do it in, in an overt so manner that, now. So, <laughs> that, so that's the first thing. That's the first practical yeah. proposal I would make is that I think we have to, secondly, I think we have to run a big campaign uh, on the question of democracy and against what they're trying to do with this democracy summit. And, yeah. and that raises the question then, <clears throat> if we're against the, the Western form of, of, of fake democracy, what would be a genuine democracy? Well, well, in my books, I did raise the question, first of all, you can't have a democracy unless you've got a really, truly democratic media. So, for example, in, in, in Venezuela now, because they've effectively uh, done away with the power, the control that they had over the media and that the right-wing uh, uh, billionaires had over the media in Venezuela, now in the late, latest elections, the, uh, the um, Chavista movement uh, had a massive victory because they're not getting all the lies that they were getting before yeah. and all yeah. the distortions. So I think that the, <clears throat> that is absolutely crucial and central and, and the left doesn't talk about that enough and it needs to do far more. But I, would, I, I believe that we, we need a new form of democracy, <clears throat> not, not this kind of competitive a market-driven style. It's a kind of capital... Where people perfect, perceive it... Yeah, I only want yeah, to say so that people perceive it mostly of, as a casting for who's going to be stealing yeah, like exactly, next four years. Exactly. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a perfect reflection of the neoliberal capitalist model of the economy and society. Yeah. The elections reflect, democratically reflect that. So you end up with a situation where you've got political parties that are received... I mean... No political party should not be able to receive large amounts of money from rich people. Mm-hmm. How is that democratic when a small number of people can pay for all kinds of things in society and, and manipulate the politics and the parliament and the media and so on? That's not democracy. The whole idea of democracy is one person, one vote. And in terms of the media, it should be one person, one voice. Uh, you know, so, so this is nonsense. If you, if you, allow, um, if you allow the rich... To corrupt the system by backing parties, backing politicians. Once the governments are in power, then they bribe the politicians. We, we've seen so many examples of what, or behind the scenes, what they're doing and what they're getting up to to get the get the rules and laws and and changes they want. And we have to do. We have to introduce laws that ban all of those things. 
and we have to introduce like we we can have state funding for elections and things like that uh, at a reasonable level so people are on a level paying field so people yeah. vote for people not because they're they're suddenly in the media all the time with fantastic posters and and, and most people nowadays when they see these election campaigns come along they, they just look at it and they say what a circus you know these people are just these politicians are just coming along to get our votes so they can get into power and then feather their nests and and uh, and whatever you know and and that's <clears throat> so we have to break away from the the this kind of capitalistic form of democracy this the, uh, dominated by the rich form of democracy <clears throat> and what i would argue is that people you know a lot of the time they're being asked to vote on things that they don't really follow i mean they expect people are expected to vote on um, things like you know the the the, the whole macroeconomics uh, situation and should they support to Keynesian policies or neoliberal policies and 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 the, the economists you, you get you get uh, two economists together and you get two different points of view even in, even among the capitalist economists never mind yeah. anybody else and so you know we're asking people to take these big big decisions but we're not giving them the chance to to influence things that actually affect their day-to-day lives i mean you have these elections every four or five years and then in between they just get away with what they want to we need to move to a totally different and and the great thing is now that we have we have technology where uh, online interactive technology where we can take the best of representative democracy and integrate it with the best of this new online democracy so that people can be informed properly about what's happening and the choice to be made, and then take decisions on them, not on every little thing, but on the big things that affect them. Or at least on those uh, things that they're interested in, okay? I mean, people yeah, that are interested that in whatever, in the, in the railway, yeah. they can, or trans, transportation, yeah, they can vote exactly. for whatever is being proposed for yeah, in this you're gonna, you're gonna have you're gonna have some issues which everybody's interested in their wages. Yeah, of course, obviously. I mean, there are going to be. Issues but you're there. right. There's going to be there's going to be something. So, for example, I um, when you when you look at the way um, companies work, or, or, or um, you know the way that the companies work, they they don't consult. They, they don't really care about their customers. They don't care about their workforce. They don't listen to them. They're just interested in the shareholders, the investors, the owners, and the short term. How much money? Uh, yeah, profit. short-term money profits they can make. Now, <clears throat> the problem we had was that we, the, our alternative to this were publicly owned companies, public services and so on. And, and we had this model, a top-down model that had developed, which was very bureaucratic. And, yeah, sometimes and also we, crony sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, you, you're going to get, if you, if you get a top-down system, you then get the possibility of bribery, isn't it? Very easy to yeah. bribe people. You know, if there's a key manager making a decision, then somebody who's going to get some benefit from it can bung them a few uh, dollars or whatever it, the currency might be. Uh, now, the thing is that we need to we need to empower all the people who are affected by decisions and and give them a driving seat in, in making those decisions. And, and build up grassroots organizations so they can have representatives there in a transparent way so decisions are not taken behind closed doors. I, I always remember, do you remember the Gdansk uh, shipyard strike in 1980 of the... Of the yeah, well, Solidarity I don't remember group. it in a sense that I wasn't okay. born yet, but yeah. Okay, but, all right. But you probably read about it. Yeah, one, sure. one, of the great, one of the great things about that strike was that they, they demanded to... That they, they brought radio mics into the negotiations between the, the representatives of the workers and, and the management. And that all the workers were gathered outside listening to every, every twist and turn of the discussions. And that was a tremendous uh, step forward. And 
there's there's no reason why we we can't do that. We can have we can set up for each sector. We can set up TV channels now on the internet, and um, we can sure. broadcast uh, board meetings for those who are not everybody's interested in it, but a significant number of people have got the time and interest to follow these things. Yeah, and it and doesn't so cost you, much, you know. No, I mean, and once, like you I know, and once, a lot of money. And once right? you've got that, once you've got the spotlight on people, it's much more difficult to do all those behind the scenes deals, you know. Right. Okay. On yeah. that note, we're going to end the program because we went over time. Thank you very much, Pat, no for all the okay. uh, insights you provided uh, on, on this program, on this segment, on the previous segment. Uh, thanks a lot to our viewers. And uh, for the end, I just want to ask uh, all of you uh, to go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the barricade. And to the extent that you feel you can afford, please uh, make a monthly subscription. Thank you very much. Stay healthy, keep fighting, and we'll see each other in uh, one week. Cheers, boy.